Welcome to the Night Flight Slumber Party. This is the show where we invite friends over to our bedrooms to talk music and movies and more. I'm Nick from the Found Footage Festival, and with me is KJ from Night Flight. Hey, KJ. Hey, great to be here. What is this show really about, though? Well, this show really is about um, us basically living within a slumber party for the last what, year and a half. Everybody's been in their jammies. Everybody's been communicating via Zoom from their bedrooms. Why not make this a slumber party? Because that's basically what it is. We're going to treat this as a way that we can have very open and fun communications with each other. And people can be casual and spill their guts to us and maybe even be uh, persuaded into playing games like Truth or Dare. <laughs> And to do all those things with us on our first episode, we are delighted to have on Fred Armisen, who, of course, you know from Saturday Night Live in Portlandia and one of our favorites, Documentary Now. So here's Fred. Welcome, Fred. We're having a slumber party. Hi. Thanks for coming to our slumber party. What uh, what are your slumber party memories? Did you go to them growing up? Yeah, I remember we used to go to my friend David's house and um, he lived kind of close to where I did. And it would be like me, Mike, Frank Campo. And it was really weird. Like we, we snacked a lot. So it was like sodas, like Coca-Colas, cookies. And I feel like that was the main part of the whole thing. That's my most vivid memory. Sometimes we would um, stay up, if it was a Saturday, late enough to watch SNL. That was like our like victory. Like We stayed up late enough to watch SNL. And uh, it was probably too late for us to go all the way to the end. But like, you know, we, we really, like that was a really bonding thing. Like all of us just like, to us it was like, Oh, they'd never show this on regular TV, even though it was regular TV. To us, it was like, oh, this is underground TV. There was like an underground quality to SNL. And my, we just laughed all the time and just like made up stuff. It was just inside jokes that I can't even, you know, try to replicate by telling you about them. Like, who knows what they were about? Total just nonsense. Plus, you're punchy. Like, when it gets late and you have, yeah, two liter of Mountain Dew and a bunch of sugar. I mean, everything's funnier. Totally. And also, I think like that's like the most bonding thing. Like when you're a kid, I think comedy is like where, you know, it's like, what do you laugh at? That kind of puts you together with your friends. It kind of just, you know, and I'm still in touch with these friends of mine today. Like they, we text each other all the time. So that laugh, so those slumber parties worked. <laughs> they serve their purpose. That's great. Yeah. So did you guys ever do any pranks or? make any prank calls and no like we didn't do prank calls until later i feel like that was more like early teens where it wasn't slumber parties it was like we were past the slumber party phase but then we, we learned how to make like prank phone calls and none of them were particularly creative who knows what we were doing, but it was like not, these were not brilliant. Like we had the best prank. There was none of that. No <laughs> wordplay, none of that stuff. Just nonsense. Yeah, I remember like hearing about like the girls slumber parties because there was almost never a co-ed slumber party as a kid, but that they would be playing truth or dare and these fun games. And I was like, we, the only thing we did, we do prank calls, but then also like we played a game called torture, which was like mix egg whites with, Tabasco sauce and pour it on a guy's tongue. And 
you know, there's no point to it other than to ritualistically torture each other. But were there adults around to go like, hey, what are you guys doing? (laughs) No, see, that's the thing. No supervision really at all. You know, you brought up snacks and they don't make some of the best stuff that they used to, you know, magic middles, those cookies that were full of chocolate and pizzerias, the chips that were like little pizzas. For us, like, it's not just the actual snacks, which are, you know, filled with sugar and all kinds of stuff. It's the amount. So like now I'm like, oh, I guess uh, maybe I'll have a couple cookies, but we would have like a big thing of Oreos. And it wasn't a matter of like, oh, this is a nice, um, you know, little sweet dessert. We ate the whole thing without a thought in our head. We were just like, (laughs) talking Coca-Cola, you know, that was it. There was no sense of like even enjoying them. You just wolf (laughs) down. How does any human being, why would any human being eat that many cookies? Why? And I remember adults saying like, oh, I can't do it. It's too sweet. And I just remember as a kid thinking, how could something be too sweet? And now I get it, of course. But my dad used to say that. It's like, I find it too. Both my parents. I was like, too sweet. <laughs> what? Fred, were you a fat kid too? Because Nick and I were both fat kids growing up. And I think. Yeah, that- I, had a, I had a phase. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Not the whole time, but just sort of, uh, I would say like fifth grade to like seventh, somewhere in that zone, fifth, yes. sixth, fifth and sixth grade. Just that's what happened, you know? Yeah. And then acne took over. So <laughs> I got skinny, but then the acne was just really monstrous. I think lack of portion control is really to blame for me too, being a fat kid. Like there, it wasn't just like you're saying, like two Oreos. It was a sleeve. Yeah, with no thought about it. It's almost like being like a robot, like this bag must be emptied. Yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Also, like, we weren't very discerning. We were never like, hey, do you have a finer quality chocolate or something? (laughs) It was just whatever was in the cupboard. must have been funny for their parents. Like, just like, where did all these cookies go? Yeah, if you had if you had like a box of Thin Mints, those were gone. There's no way those were going to oh, yeah, make yeah. it through a slumber party. Was there an ultimate slumber party movie for you, Fred? Or, or thinking back now, was there one? Well, I can't remember an actual slumber, meaning like something we'd see on TV and like we'd watch all the way through. Yeah, or just a, maybe you'd, I don't know if it was rental time yet, but but something, yeah, that would be on TV maybe that you were like, oh, this is the ultimate movie to watch that is a really good question my memory is like putting things together that actually don't chronologically make sense so there was this movie phantasm right i knew that we were into that one you know with the that spike that goes into that guy's head but i think we must have seen that in the movies and talked about it a lot who were your favorite cast members on snl at that time when you were a kid um when i was a kid Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, I remember being like, some. that was someone who like, I had never seen a performer like that before. So this is like, towards the end of that run of mm-hmm. SNL, of that cast. That might've been the last time that they were on. And then as I got older, I started to get into like Dana Carvey and Phil Hartman and, and that group. So, so Dan Aykroyd was when I was like, a really this is preteen as like a kid and then as i got older yeah like and mike myers i used to really like and it was i think i liked i liked them all i used to like all those cast members but it, it was the ones who like really got into their characters 
who like disappeared into a character who I was way into. That must have been such a dream come true for you to have had anything to do with that after it being such a... Oh, yeah. It never... It's such a big deal to me that I still think about it and I still can't believe it. I still go like, I cannot believe I was on that show. Like, (laughs) I loved it so much. I watched it every version, every version. You know, when Eddie Murphy was on, um, that was more high school. And then every like cast I always was way into through my whole life. And I still watch it today. Like I still watch like the new versions of it. And, and I still can't believe it. I still can't believe I had anything to do with that. For a long time too, you know, you're, you're part of that history. It's crazy. It's, it's totally crazy. Totally crazy. I think that like one of the reasons I was able to write when I was on there is because I was such a fan. So all the stuff that I grew up on was, it was the same language that I wanted to write, you know, short pieces, pieces of the character in it, you know, some stuff that didn't make that much sense. You know, that was like my sweet spot of what made me laugh anyway. How did you get involved with it? I um, was doing like kind of stand-up stuff where I was playing characters. And then uh, through my manager, uh, I got, uh, and then through someone there named Marcy Klein, they sent my tape and Lauren saw it. So they brought me in for an audition and it was like a dream because I've been doing music for so long uh, to be in anything having to do with comedy was amazing to me. And then just being in that room, I was already, I, I was already good. Meaning like if that's where it ended, I would have been like, Oh, I can't believe I got to be there. But um, you know, the place like also like since your show is, has so much music on it. Like it, it, they introduced me to a lot of bands. Like I got to, you know, just seeing Blondie for the first time and, and talking heads in Devo, like all those bands were on SNL. Like that was as much, if not a bigger part of SNL to me um, being there. So it was so many levels of, I couldn't believe I was there. And then I did this audition as I did some impressions and stuff. And then um, they called me and they said, you know, they sort of said in whatever language they use, you know, you got the job. And um, I, I knew it was going to be like life changing and then it would, it was going to really like enrich my life. And, and it did, it really did. I like getting to meet, you know, the thing that happens is you're not just on TV. It's not like you go there and then, you know, that's all there is of these, are these sketches. It's that like, I met all these writers and performers and Maya Rudolph and Tina Fey, all these geniuses. You're surrounded by geniuses, you know, watching, the news and saying something about it or seeing something in, in the newspaper and just saying like the funniest thing you've ever heard. So there's that too. There, like all of a sudden there are these, not that there weren't brilliant people around me all the time. It's just a different, it's just being around like all these writers was new to me. Where else would I have been around writers? You know, Kara, you were talking about the Ian rubbish sketch too. <laughs> yes. We were just talking about how great that it was. Like, you do parody so well that it just, it's so natural that it seems like something like what you've done could have really happened. Um, and Ian Rubbish is one of my favorite characters to talk about. He's well, like, it's everything that I, that I love, you know, it's like, or that we love, it's punk rock, it's London punk rock, you know, and um, it's all the stuff that 
I've always been a fan of. So it's easier to do parody when it's stuff that I love, because then I could just, I, you know, I could think of whatever chords they're going to use and stuff and lyrics. But for that one, I didn't write the lyrics. That's um, Seth Meyers. So what's weird is that, like, I would love to be like, to take credit for all of it, being like, oh, I just thought of this character. And Seth Meyers, um, Margaret Thatcher had just died. So Seth, and he knows the music that I love. He was like, what if you were like a punk guy who supported Margaret Thatcher, the one guy who was really into her? And he wrote the concept. He came up with the concept. I came up with the uh, chords and, you know, whatever the look is and the accent. But he, those were his lyrics, which is, you know, I was like, just give me the lyrics and I'll put music to it. So it was a really, that was a real... Um, a real like group effort that was like us really working together i've got a message for you about your prime minister one two three four hey Maggie, that's you're all right. reese and alex who worked at snl and did make the short films they did the short for it with bill Hader, and it was from that group it was from making the in rubbish that we decided to do documentary now it came from that sketch where I think it was our last year at SNL, where we were just like, we gotta keep working together. That was the funnest thing, you know? So that's what that comes from. But that's like, you know, that, that's me just doing an impression of all the pe my heroes, you know, Mick Jones and Steve Jones and, who, you know, all those people. That character is such a perfect amalgam of all of those people combined. You just nailed it in Seth Meyers, like, give him credit too i mean obviously totally. I, totally. I didn't realize that documentary now was sort of bred from that experience so that's really cool oh yeah yeah i mean literally those are the those directors are the ones who went on to direct all of documentary now documentary now is just an extension of that sketch it's interesting too that like then there's johnny rotten who like later became a trump guy and you know like i think he supported george bush and they and just it, it's not too far off really no it, it's not that's the other weird thing is that like when we made it yeah you, you would think it's that you know politics only skew one way for punks but that's not the case you you mentioned like getting to be have like basically a front row seat to blondie and stuff i'm curious what your first concert was adam and the ants so i saw adam and the ants at the pier in like 1981 or 82 or something then I saw Devo soon after that at Radio City Music Hall um, uh, on Halloween. Then uh, Bow Wow Wow. Um, I saw The Clash at the pier, like maybe that might have been 82. Um, I saw Talking Heads a bunch of times. I saw The Fall, but that was a little later. That was like more into the 80s. The Cramps I got to see. Wow. Dead Kennedys. These are Dead all like cool first concerts. Like, are there any embarrassing ones <laughs> that you look back at now? No, because like we can, we're, we're all together on this thing because we have the same taste. So for us, we're like, Hey, these are cool. But when you're, you know, whatever, 15 or whatever, you just, I just wanted to go. It took a lot of effort to go to those things. So I couldn't accidentally go to any lame concerts. Like it was all like, Oh my God, talking heads are coming. I got to see them. So you just, we had to, you know, get tickets and stuff. It was, a, it was harder to do. So it was what I can, I'm really glad. I mean, I am very, I guess pride is a terrible word to use, but I'm very proud of the shows I got to see. 
Um, I'm bummed about the ones I, I missed. The Jam came to town. I missed them. The Clash were there a year earlier, and I missed that show. And um, and you know, you know who was in town? Who I saw the poster for was Prince during 1999, oh, and he was at Radio City Music Hall. I just and just didn't go. I just it was too expensive, or who knows what. And um, I wish I went. I got to see Prince later, but I wish I went to that 1999 tour. Kara, do you have any concert regrets like that? I do. The first concert that I ever went to was something that I got free tickets to. Um, we might have won them from the radio. I did. I used to win stuff from the radio all the time because you know we were always calling the radio stations. But first, first concert was Ozzy, like late era Ozzy, and um, it was. I, I don't even remember the show because at one point these these boys who were you know cute loser boys you know and I was there with my female friend, they just started following us around. They're like, Hey, it was like turn to an after school special instantly. <laughs> Smoke this joint kids, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And we were like, yeah. <laughs> so. It's exactly what you'd expect to happen at a Nazi concert. I would think. Yeah. <laughs> my first concert was they might be giants flood that I paid my own money to go see. And then my next one was Jimmy Buffett at Summerfest. <laughs> so I, some friend's mom had tickets. We went to see that. Isn't it funny? Like, I don't know if you guys had the same experience, but my experience going to those first concerts was being amazed at the speakers. Like, whoa, they're <laughs> hanging. And the, you know you know how they're like tilted outwards like this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, where do you ever see that? Like, you don't see that on TV. They'll show a concert on TV, but like to see actual hanging speakers is really wild. Like, oh, that's how that sound gets out there. Truth or dare, Fred. (laughs) Wow. Well, how are you going to implement a dare? Well, we thought about that. And if you choose one, I'll show you. (laughs) Hmm. Okay. So truth or dare. Man, this is a tough one. <laughs> um, I'll go for truth. Okay. So, Fred, mm. tell us about the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you. Wow. Something that still keeps you up at night, puts you right into existential crisis mode. Like, it's it's still there. For some reason, the first thing that jumps out is one time I opened for Les Savvy Fab. And I set up this whole projector to show videos and stuff, and it didn't work. I just messed up. And and I really could feel the room, like, not being happy with my presence, you know? Like, not nothing personal. I just really, it wasn't like, it just felt very like the embarrassing part was like, why did I think this was a good idea? Why did I think like doing all this tech stuff to open for a band? A band is like, people just want to see the band. And I over conceptualized it. So this is just what's coming. This is the first thing that comes to my head. It was like, even though you might think like, oh, what? It was just a club or it was just a venue, but it is a lot of people right. sort of looking at you. And I was it's just me alone. And that is embarrassing to be a professional entertainer and really messing up. That's a mess up. That's like, 
they asked me to open the show and here I am fiddling with a projector. <laughs> and I didn't think of a way out of it. I didn't think of like, projector doesn't work. I do these jokes. I just sort of stood there and apologized. I think where I betrayed myself is that I thought I could get by on charm, right? Like, I'm just like, what? But it's me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, and audiences who want to see a band, they're like, you could be, it doesn't matter who you are. This is valuable time. All right, let's try one more truth or dare. Truth, truth or dare? I guess I'll go for dare. Okay. Text a famous person in your phone and say happy hump day. <laughs> and hopefully you tell us who you're texting. I gotta think of somebody. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So I'm going to give you guys a choice of two people I could text. Okay. And I could do them both at the same time. John C. Riley or Tim Heidecker? Both. Yeah. Group text. Yes. Group text. <laughs> I text with them all the time. So happy hump, hump day. Yeah. I can't show you my phone because it's just, it's too like, I'll just do this, but I, I can't be like. Oh, we'll believe you. Yeah. But I am, I promise you, I am doing this. <laughs> Wait, you know what's funny? First of all, I'm, I'm sending the text right now. Okay. Hump day. What's funny is that I'm really grateful for is that's actually a funny thing to send somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and it is Wednesday. So it kind of, you know, it's just, <laughs> I gotta say like what the reason you're doing me a favor is because I don't, I actually don't have to text them later and be like, Hey, sorry, I was just doing this thing. Like, this is actually like of good quality. We had an idea for a parody game to play with you. <laughs> so the idea is we're going to name a real song. You give us a possible parody title of it. You up for that? Sure. All right, Kara, you go first. Okay. Um, wake me up before you go go. Dancing by the pink neon light. <laughs> Achy breaky heart. Rootin' tootin' love. <laughs> <laughs> that I, that one I think has legs. I think you should record that one. <laughs> um, well, how about let's go uh, London calling. Manchester on the line. <laughs> I like that you're not going with like title parodies too. You yeah, know, yeah. like you're not doing like London falling and it's about a guy who trips no, a lot. No, no, yeah. Pour no. some sugar on me. Let me share your hairspray. <laughs> <laughs> these are so good. You actually should do some of these, please. We need a, is, is butt rock that term? Is that? as widely used as it was no. what's butt rock butt rock is like spandex covered butt rock like def leopard was you know no <laughs> i we i've only heard it referred this is great this is great no we um that for my only reference i've heard is hair metal hair metal too yeah butt rock is so much more personal i think though yeah but, but butt rock could apply to other kinds of rock is, is the only thing. Hmm. But in my mind. Perhaps, yeah. Butt rock. Someone did try to have an argument with me that butt rock was like Pearl Jam with like that really affected vocals. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I don't see that. Right. Because butt rock has like a confidence to it. And I think Pearl Jam is like, that's more like self-effacing. There's a more sort of 
yeah. internal thing going on, but that's certainly not butt rock. They weren't butt centric. No, you, know, you can have your opinion about that entire genre, but it was never butts. And I think that person was also <clears throat> sort of misplaced their Seattleness because yes. you could just take that and just go to Sir Mix a lot. That would be butt rock. That like would literally be. same city, but just shifted over. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and there's like fat bottom girls. Is that considered butt rock or not? You know, because of the artist, mm-hmm. um, it just goes under a different category. I guess Queen could be butt rock. Do you think? I don't mean. I mean, I guess because we will rock you has a buttness to it. There, yeah, Freddie Mercury. But, like. but what Freddie Mercury like? He, I feel like he's so much more elaborate than that. I feel like there's more. Yes. It's a little more heady than. I guess there are different levels of butt that we can really take into consideration whenever we're yeah. trying to describe these different styles. Yeah. Yeah, this is a discussion uh, to be continued. This is a, a TED talk on on what is butt rock. Maybe it's a you know it when you see it, you know? I mean, for me, if I didn't know, if I hadn't heard your description, I would think that there was like a blues folk element to butt rock because they're sitting on their butts playing. Wow, that is like a complete- butt rock, they're butt, you know, seated. Wow. Yeah. Let's really get into this at some point later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Should. My mind is being blown over here. <laughs> is there a parody of, of uh, 1999, the song 1999? Is there one you could think of for that? Um, I would call it Nostradamus Says. S-E-Z. Perfect. Yeah. The spelling cool. is crucial to that one, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Nostradamus Says, by the way, the, um, my reference is just because the story is, is that Prince and his band were watching a documentary about Nostradamus. And that's how he came up with 1999. So I'm just, that's a, it's a cheat that I'm like, well, I, I think that's what he was basing it on. So I just shifted it over a little. It's still really good. And I didn't know that. So. that that's why it's so accurate. And that's why you won the, the, the song parody game. You won. Congratulations. <laughs> <Did it. laughs> Fred, thanks for coming to our slumber party. Come back anytime. And next next time you come on, can you report back if John C. Riley and Tim Heidecker respond to that text? Okay, I will. Oh. <laughs> John C. Riley said something very funny. Oh, please share. <laughs> he said jingle bells. <laughs> Perfect response. You know, if we can use this platform to harass even one celebrity, I think uh, we're doing our job, right? I think so. At least I hope so. You know, what slumber party would be complete without having two cool people who you invited over you didn't think would come actually show up? But that was (laughs) the case with the uh, electronic duo from Detroit. They're called Adult, and they're profiled on Night Flight Plus right now. Over the past two decades, Detroit-based synth duo Adult have been crafting dark analog dance songs for the postmodern era. Together, Nicola Cooperus and Adam Lee Miller have released eight albums of rigid beats, cold synths, and haunting vocals. Forever dark, always analog. Adult's catalog is in a league of its own. Joining us from their home in Detroit, it's Adam and Nicola from Adult. Welcome, guys. Thank you. We're not just joining you from our home. We're joining you from our bed. 
<laughs> it's very intimate. This is a slumber <laughs> party that feels appropriate. Did you all do slumber parties growing up? Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know. I don't think Adam really well, did. Well, long story. <laughs> well, well, let's get into it. We got enough of a time. You're going to need a three-part document. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just grew up with my, I grew up very strict evangelical, and I grew up with my two female cousins, and that's who I had sleepovers with, but then we would asked my grandma to tell us ghost stories at night, but because she was evangelical, the ghost stories were absolutely terrifying. <laughs> Didn't they involve like demon demon possession and things like that? Yes, yes. So she was part of a church that handled snakes and spoke in tongues. And so then we would be like, tell us a ghost story. And she's like, oh, one time on Blairsden or whatever, you know, it's always that street, you know, that you heard growing up of like where everyone lived. And it was like, so I went down to the uh, furnace to, you know, light the furnace and the devil kept or well, she didn't know the match kept going out. And then she was like, finally, I realized someone was blowing out my candle or match or can't match. <laughs> Thank you. And so then she said she started singing gospel songs. And then she lit the match and she could see the devil's face, one foot from her face, blowing the match out. And then the gospel song scared him away. And then she lit the furnace. And then wow. she leave. And then me and my three cous two cousins would just be terrified yeah. for like four hours. You probably never slept. No. So yeah. they weren't. A, there was no slumbering in my slumber. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw the devil's face. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> it really was like that. <laughs> Nicola, were yours a little more lighthearted or what were your slumber parties like? Well, my slumber parties were basically like um, five girlfriends and myself trying to play the Ouija board. Yes. That was like every weekend. we I also made my own Ouija board out of like a Christmas um a, like dress shirt box that you would get like from the department store yeah and then i coated it with wax paper and made like the you know thing that moved around but yeah i mean tons of slumber parties playing ouija boards going out in toilet papering people's houses forking their yards and there we go yeah this when you would get finally pay dirt like someone who knows slumber parties like i remember them oh yeah you know, forking a yard is when you spend many months collecting plastic forks from oh you were hard. i this is like not very environmentally <laughs> correct anymore, but this is what you did when in my time before we before knew. the environment was burning. Did you ever get caught but, doing any of these um, rotten tricks? <laughs> uh, we did run from several cops, but we never got caught. We were pretty good. Good. We were pretty good at getting away. <laughs> so we've had no slumber party guests for a year and a half. And now we have two, and I don't think one's going to come to the camera. Yeah. But, we, but we have Douglas J. McCarthy from... Nitzarib. Nitzarib. I don't know. Holy shit. Oh, my <laughs> God. Really? So while, while you're all here, this is a good time to ask this question. Um, Fred Armisen told us about, like, a terrible gig he had on stage where he kind of panicked over a, a technical problem. What are your worst gigs where you just had to panic or something went awry? We were opening for Depeche Mode on the Violator Tour. 
playing in Sacramento, I think, and the local, like the the which is already kind of weird stadium that we were playing at. Apparently, they had a uh, if they liked you, that throw shoes at the stage, <laughs> and this size like eighteen. That was, my, that was me. Adam's it was shoe. you, yeah. Adam was there, <laughs> shoeless. Size <laughs> eighteen comes flying through the audience. I duck and it hits our dr- drummer at the time. We've had about ten drummers or something. Well, that one died. <laughs> it was like Spinal Tap. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. There must have been like a, an NBA player in the in the tenth row who just took off a shoe, couldn't take it anymore. Stop this crap! He's like these electronic <laughs> bands. Are those real drums? Where's the guitar? I'll be back in the basement. Yeah, basically any nightmare gig stories or things that happen on stage. I was thinking my worst is not show experience, like audience experience, but like pre-show experience would actually be in Detroit. The sound man grabbed my microphone, which I always, because I'm a little bit of a germaphobe, I always travel with my own microphone. And he, during sound check, grabbed my mic out of my hand and he had like a whopping cold sore. Oh, Ew. oh. Green. oh no. Was and it James Hetfield? Was it? I don't know who it was. And it was like, he just like really licked that thing up and down. Anyway, luckily it was the last show on the tour. We were at home, you know, it was Detroit and I did not touch that thing after he took it and I immediately went home and like doused the fucking thing in a bot an entire bottle of rubbing alcohol. It was so fucking disgusting. Oh, oh being God. in a band is gross, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's really gross. I mean, you never know like what kind of toilet situation like somebody oh my God. was like, What's like the sexiest thing that's happened backstage? And I was like, You mean like shitting? Like trying to find like a toilet for your pre-show shit? Once I ate some really terrible Vietnamese food in Cleveland before a show. Oh, honey. (laughs) And it was like, oh, it was bad. It was bad. And we got on stage and I said to Adam, like, look, this is the situation. I have been shitting nonstop for like the last hour. Like, I may have to. I may have to excuse myself. She said, from the well, set. "If I leave the stage, you need to loop and improvise." Yep. And I was like, "But I don't oh. think of that." <laughs> but that's great that you can loop, so you have like a, an emergency diarrhea situation. Exactly. I have a tour's motto, yes. which is that you need four S's. We on do the- have a good tour motto. Oh yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. What's that? Four S's you need on the road are: you need sleep. You need a shower. You need, you a, need shit. a shit. And you need food. And if you can achieve three of those in you're one having, day, you're, you're having, having a great day. Great day on the road. Well, what about concert going, though? What, like, we talked with Fred Armisen about first concerts. Do you have uh, memorable ones, embarrassing ones? Oh, it would have been Circle Jerks. Oh, that's, oh, that's great. That's yeah, a that's a good, good first concert. Yeah. But my parents paid for me to go see Rod Stewart with them. <laughs> What about the first concert you can drive to? 
Oh, circle jerks. Mine would have been <laughs> mine would have been the dead milkman. Also pretty that's, good. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, speaking of your music, let's talk a little bit about you and your band and we can announce Let's it announce it. Who yeah. cares? I mean, like the way things go, world premiere. The way things, you know, people accumulate information, like nobody remembers, so <laughs> But we did just make a new record. Yes. And it's going to be coming out next spring. And we're going to tour on that because basically we released a record April 10th of 2020. And that was released into a big void. And we just said, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just let's make another record. We have on Night Flight Plus an adult profile for Night Flight that is actually uh, introduced and narrated by Pat Prescott, the original narrator for Night Flight and host, which is amazing. Oh, that is sweet, because also we... <laughs> can I, can I or are you yeah. tell your story? No, we both, like, grew up, like, like, oh, Night Flight's on. So I, <laughs> yeah. I started my first band in 1985, total dumb punk band nobody knows, but... I lived in the country in Indiana, and my friend lived in the city, meaning he had cable. <laughs> so he would record Night Flight, and we would wait all week to then just hang out all weekend and watch the recordings over and over. So nice. like all this came together. We were just yeah. like, this is really, really exciting. For It's very right. important to my development. Well, and I saw right. so many first videos of, of culture I identified with. I couldn't get TV right. party. I wasn't in New York with all access, yeah. you know? Or New Wave Theater on the West Coast or, you yeah. know, thank God that something like Night Flight was there. Yeah, the, the <laughs> residents weren't, weren't being played at my local CBS affiliate uh, in Wisconsin. <laughs> so, yeah, you guys are part of, a, of that tradition now. Your videos and your profiles on Night Flight Plus, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. That's very thank, cool. Thank you for supporting our weirdo music. They have another shit story. But... What's the shit story? <laughs> oh, Can we call your book the tour. shit stories? Were, were we on tour? We were coming back oh, from a show. We played a one-off show in New York. We're coming back. It's like a 10-hour drive. We stopped outside of New York at Whole Foods, got like a big salad. And so we get to Cleveland and I'm like talking to a girlfriend on the phone and I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling, I'm, I think something's going on. Like I got to get off the phone. I think I need to get to a restroom. And then suddenly our phones go off and do the like emergency alert and the weather just like snap, change super fast. And it was like, there's a tornado in your area. Oh my and God, like, it's a shit storm. To the left, there's a fucking tornado <laughs> in oh and I'm like, we Adam, see the tornado. I'm like, we Adam. see the tornado in the cornfield. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm going to fucking shit my pants. And so like we have to pull over, we pull over like next to a semi. It's like in a ditch area where like we may have to run to the like, you know, underpass and like. Adam's like trying, like it navigating, like in this I'm on my tor- phone, tornado. Right. What the next like rest stop is, and literally, whilst 
the storm is passing, I shit into my Whole Foods salad box. <laughs> oh my god! In one, in Done. and out the other, and then the and tornado all I'm gonna dissipated. Say, all I'm gonna say is, you know, then that's we, that's 23 years of touring experience. If we yeah. ever write a book, we'll have to talk to you because I think that chapter is going to have to be called Shitstorm. Shitstorm. It, yeah. And, and it, it left and went away because it did its job. It came to town, it caused shit, and then it left. <laughs> and then, like, first, like, how fucking great are you guys as a couple that you can have and share these, like, shit war stories? Oh, and, like, still, like... It, you know, it happens. Sometimes you just gotta... There was an amazing moment where I was on my phone and I was like, okay, it's six minutes away. And Nicola goes... Too late. So pathetically, she goes, too late. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you so much for coming. And, like, you have been a, a big shitty delight. Thank you so much. I'm glad I wore brown. Well, that was delightful and surprisingly scatological, but uh, I loved it. What a relief to talk to Adult. Speaking of which, we would love to thank Adult for coming to our slumber party tonight, as well as Fred Armisen. God, what a sport yes. for coming to hang out with us tonight. And of course, uh, we want to thank you for coming to our slumber party. But it is getting late. We have to go to bed. So we'll see you next time. Good, Good night. night. The Night Flight Slumber Party is hosted by me, Nick Pruer, and Night Flight media producer, Kara Jean. It's executive produced by Stuart S. Shapiro and produced by Kara Jean and Thomas Malarney. The podcast is edited by me with original music by Kara Jean. 